and this might be getting like more technical about like southern tropes and things. That's but, fine. The, yeah, be, I mean, I be know technical. That's, a, I guess that's, that's the show. The whole show. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And this month, we have been diving into the world of Southern films. Thomas is not with me today, but I have a returning special guest, and that is Amy Tippett Madrid. Uh, Amy, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Talking about Southern movies. You know. Yes, I think that's perfect because I am We're- a true Southern woman, true Southerner. Yeah. What yes. what's what southern states have y'all lived in? Because you've you've lived in Alabama. I've lived in Alabama and Georgia and Florida, if you can consider it a southern state. I do. Really, only well, the Panhandle <laughs> is a southern state. Um, once, yeah. once you go like central to south, it's uh not the pan. It's not the south yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, Flor- yeah, Florida's like three states in one. Yes, is it the is. Thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's the great thing about the South. It's very diverse in terms of its makeup. It's like every kind of state is its own different flavor. In some cases, like Florida, there's very different flavors in the one oh, state. Yes. Um, so yeah. So as I said, we've been talking about Southern films this month, and Southern films is not really a clearly defined genre. So we've been trying to kind of do that this month by kind of asking, what is a Southern film? And when like looking at the genres, we just we've discussed the kind of connection to the Southern Gothic literature genre, the consistent themes of things like repression, and that could deal with sexual repression, which we talked about last week with Count Hot Tin Roof. We've also talked about kind of racial repression and kind of how the issue of race has always been lingering in the backgrounds of these films and within the South as a whole, the history of it. And as the genre has progressed, I think race is becoming a, a more prominent part in this genre in our current kind of world um we've also talked about how sometimes there is a fantastical or sometimes supernatural element that occasionally runs through several of these films um the kind of folklore that that come that comes around the south or local air like you think of like boo radley or someone i was thinking big fish big fish yeah, yeah thomas yeah. mentioned that on your first episode and i was like yeah oh, i love it and secondhand lions that's another one that uses that yeah there's always something kind of there of this like yeah either either supernatural or just folklore um yeah. even even in terms of the visuals that we talked about to kill a mockingbird how like there's moments of like these very like almost fairy tale like visuals they use in the film and that's uh very prominent we've also talked about which will be very key today we've talked about how there's almost like a storytelling gene a storytelling gene within many of these films like we said big fish uh like to kill a mockingbird it's usually characters from the present and secondhand lions you keep forgetting about (laughs) secondhand lions (laughs) Um, i love that movie it's like yeah there's usually characters that are present with these stories that love telling stories and it could be gene louise finch looking back on her life and kill a mockingbird or if it's forrest gump telling people his life story and kind of the things along the way uh it's present throughout many films i mean these characters have some kind of connection to their hometown or area as well and that becomes part of their storytelling which is very prominent in today's yes, movie definitely so you had never seen I'm going to throw you under the bus here. That's fine. That's to. fine. Uh, uh, you never seen fried green tomatoes until today. Yeah, that's true. That's a true and fact. That, <laughs> and that's, and that's our movie we're talking about. Uh, we're, <laughs> yeah. t- we're talking about fried green tomatoes and we'll, and we'll get into it. I had never seen it um, until like three or four years ago. Okay. So I don't have to feel so take, bad. Yeah. yeah. You're not, you know, you don't feel too bad. Um, but yeah. So 
before I get into your thoughts, I mean, brief intro for everyone that that knows the movie or doesn't know the movie. It's available to rent on Prime or wherever you get your kind of rentals, your digital video rentals now. <laughs> and Fried Fried Green Tomatoes was released in 1991 based on the 1987 novel by Fanny Flagg. Uh, Fried Green Tomatoes is a Southern dramedy about two unlikely duos in separate time periods. The first duo is a unhappy Alabama housewife, Evelyn Couch, played by Kathy Bates, who befriends an old woman that lives in a nursing home. Uh, That old woman, Ninny Threadgood, played by Jessica Tandy, has very few friends, but like many Southerners, she is a born storyteller. And soon, Evelyn becomes enthralled by Ninny's tales of her hometown of Whistlestop, Alabama, and its inhabitants. And that leads us to our other duo of women, the star of Ninny's stories are Ruth Jam- Jameson, played by Mary Louise Parker, and Ninny's relative, uh, Iggy Threadgood, played by Mary Stuart Masterson. Or is she a relative? We'll discuss. Mm. Uh, Ruth mm. and Iggy are two best two best friends, and I use quotations around that um, with yeah. this. Uh, that Very share loose their, term. Yeah, yeah, that, that share their life together in 1930s Alabama as they own and operate the local cafe. Throughout the film, we cut back and forth to 1980s Birmingham, Alabama, as Evelyn gains confidence from Ninny's stories about 1930s Whistle Stop. As I mentioned, some of the cast, uh, but the main four leads, again, are Kathy Bates, Jessica Tandy, Mary Stewart Masterson, and Mary Louise Parker. You also have a supporting cast that includes a young Chris O'Donnell, pre-Robin Robin in, in uh, Batman Robin movies, uh, Stan Shaw, uh, Gaylord Sartain, and the legendary... Uh, Cecily Tyson, who recently passed away this year at the age of 96. In terms of crew, the film was directed by John Avnet, and oddly, it was Avnet's directorial debut. Didn't know that. Yeah, during the 1980s, he was mostly a producer, uh, and his two most famous films are Risky Business, that famously starred Tom Cruise, and Less Than Zero, which included kind of a breakout dramatic performance by Robert Downey Jr. Other names attached to this movie, the credited screenplay writers in the film are Carol Sobeski, who was most famous for her screenplays, the film adaptation of the hit musical Annie, and mm, the the one original. Of my faves. I love it. Uh, and the original, it'll come into play today. Uh, really? And the, yes, uh, and the original made-for-TV version of the Born Identity in 1988. She also wow, wrote that. Wow. Yeah. And the other writer of of the the film is the original writer of the novel, Fanny Flagg. Uh, also briefly another name that is important is norman lear who served as the executive producer of the film and for those who don't know lear is most famous for pushing the boundaries of television in the 1970s with uh shows like on the family good time sanford and son uh one day at a time mod and the jeffersons norman lear just had his 99th birthday a few months back so uh wow yeah happy Still. birthday <laughs> her happy belated 99? birthday norman lear Happy yeah, birthday from Still us working. to you. <laughs> Still working too. He did. That's he amazing. did the. Yeah, he did like the. They did the recreations of uh, All in the Family and Jeffersons for like ABC pre COVID. And he was involved in that. Yeah, he was still involved. Yeah, he was like wow. a producer on it. Yeah, he's he's still actively doing That's stuff. Amazing. So so you watch this for the first time. I said I I'd watched it three years ago. I revisited this time. What were your kind of brief thoughts on watching Fried Green Tomatoes? I, well, first of all, I feel like this was a a movie that was really important um, for me to watch. And so I was actually very excited because it's one that I have, it's been on my watch list for a very long time. So this was a really great opportunity to explore this. Um, I think that um, I am like 
I'm a true Southerner. I grew up, uh, you know, my parents are wonderful people um, and I love them so dearly. But, you know, I I was, well, they're going to listen to this and I feel like I need to couch what I'm about to say a little bit, which is that like, I grew up in a fairly... uh, conservative to moderate home, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I, my dad and my, who was uh, always encouraging us to watch like movies, even if they, we were, we were encouraged, however, like despite that to really, uh, to stretch ourselves and to put ourselves yeah, yeah. in a, you know, situ like, you know, just trying your horizons. And, yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, I won't say that they intentionally didn't let me watch fried green tomatoes because of like the LGBT like subtext. But I did wonder that I'm like, is this why it took me so long to watch this is because I grew up in kind of a more conservative, like, you know, like, I I don't know. So, uh, but my initial thoughts are just that, like, first of all, I think it was so important for me to watch this movie and I'm so glad I did. Um, And I think, yeah, that's kind of my initial response is it was about damn time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is one. It's like it was one that, again, escaped me for a while. And it, it was kind of the to throw myself on the bus here. It's kind of the like, I'm not saying I felt this way. I'm going to sure, state this. Sure. But I'm going to say that, like, it. these are one of those movies. We talked about this time. I was last, last month with Nancy Myers of like. It was designated as like a chick flick, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, for sure, sure. And so sometimes people would like, like, kind of downgrade it because yeah, of that. Absolutely, because because it was seen as like it's a steel magnolias, it's a terms right. of endearment it's meant for like, women. Like this is yeah, a woman story for women. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and so especially I'm not in the saying, south, especially in yeah, the south, especially. Yeah. South. And I'm not saying I like walked away from it because of that. But it made it to where, like, the puck perception was, like, it wasn't as important to, like, right. watch. Yeah. Is the thing. Well, I mean, I, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, my parents, again, like, they always encouraged me to watch all sorts of different stuff and to learn. So I don't know that it was ever intentional. I think yeah. just as we were more, we were more, um, you know, we were encouraged to watch Forrest Gump. Like, that was something, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, I think you said that, like, every Alabama yeah. child is, like, comes out of the womb and is immediately given a DVD of Forrest Gump, yeah, you know? like, yeah, yeah. And I would say that that's true. Like, it's not necessarily that I think it was an intentional, like, hey, let's not watch this movie. Like, I think yeah. there were just, like, other Southern films that took precedence, like, To Kill a Mockingbird and, and Forrest Gump, which we've said, like, five times. But, I mean, you know, I think it was just, I don't think it was necessarily intentional, for sure. So. Yeah, and, and that happens. I mean, this it's going to be discussed next week uh, with the film we're talking about uh, when, when I have another guest on. But like, it's some Southern films just for some reason get like swept under the rug in a weird way for a yeah. period of time. And I'm, and I'm not saying Fried Green Tomatoes is a little bit different because we'll come into kind of later of like the legacy of it because it's bigger. Sure. It's I think it's bigger and it's growing as time go- has gone on. Absolutely. It aged but fairly well. Yeah. It aged fairly well. Yes. Yeah. But there, there's some movies that like they're big in the moment and then like kind of just can get forgotten. And this is films right. in general. Sure. But get, get forgotten about. But Fry Green Tomatoes is a movie where like it was, it was really big and then maybe just kind of petered off like in the 2000s or whatever of like no one really talking about it and now it's back up now it's back up to this kind of like growing legacy around it 
And maybe I'm wrong, but that's just like from no, what I. Think I, you, I think I, you've pretty. I think you've nailed that, yeah. and I think it kind of follows the trajectory of the cast in some ways. I mean, like if you look at Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker, I mean, I think both of them kind of did something similar. You know what I mean? Where like I they agree. had kind of like this height of their career, and then both of them kind of went off the radar. But I think they're they're both kind of coming back into their own and and making some cool things. And so I think that maybe that's just a life art mirroring life type of thing. <laughs> You know what I mean? Where the, yeah. you know, so not exactly in the way that that uh, is usually yeah. meant, but you know what I mean? Like, I think it's kind of like this movie almost follows that same thing. Yeah. And I think that's just also to like access to to films as well. As it, oh, as yeah, it. sure. Like we can watch it on Amazon and like, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. Should. That's fair. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So let's dive into how this movie got to production. Um, so we need to give a little backstory on the source material of Fried Green Tomatoes, because as I said earlier, the film was based on a novel from 1987 called Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Luckily, they shortened the name for the film. Yes. Uh, it's not too long, but that's huh. a book title. It's a book yeah, title. Definitely. Uh, uh, the book was written by Fanny Flagg, and Flagg has a fairly interesting story as well. Flagg was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, but her name was Patricia Neal. Flag became interested in writing at a very young age, writing her first play at age 10. Uh, while she was a teenager, she participated in the Miss Alabama pageant where she won a year's tuition to a local acting school in Birmingham. As she got older, she became a co-host of the morning show on WBRC-TV in Birmingham. But for you Central Alabama folks, it's Fox 6. <laughs> um, at, at some point, Flag asked for a raise to the show, but it was denied. So she decided to quit her job and move to New York City to become an actress. Oh, yeah. The one major <laughs> issue, if you guys know a little bit of kind of old school Hollywood, the one major issue she ran to when she tried to apply for Actors' Equity was, uh, which is a union for theater actors in New York, or the not New York, but everywhere uh, in America, was that there was already a famous actress with the name Patricia Neal. Uh, flags given name neil had starred in such films as the day the earth stood still a face in the crowd and she had also won a best supporting actress uh, oscar for her performance in the fantastic film hud which we discussed last year a little with our texas month so flag had only one hour to come up with her stage name and she can't with the name fanny flag <laughs> because wow. according to, according to her fa her grandfather Fanny was a famous name that many female vaudevillians used during the 1920s. Okay. And Flag was the last name of one of her best friends. All right. Well, I'll have to take his word for it on the Fanny. <laughs> well, part. no. Like, <laughs> like, 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 like Fanny Bryce is another one. Okay, like, there's a lot. Yeah, of, there's yeah, a lot. There's, there's, there, there's yeah, a lot of Fannies, Brandon. There's <laughs> a lot of Fannies. A lot of Fannies out there in the 1920s. Um, Flag might not have been a household name as an actress, but she found some fairly solid success during the 1960s and 70s. She appeared in only a few films, but two of those films were Five Easy Pieces starring Jack Nicholson and the hit musical Grease from 1978. Uh, her most famous role was actually as a game show panelist. She consistently on peer, appeared on such game shows as Match Game and Hollywood Squares for like decades, basically. Wow. Uh, Flag would come back to writing, however, in 1978 after she won a competition for a short story she wrote, which became the basis for her autobiographical novel, Coming Attractions, later retitled to Daisy Faye and the Miracle Man. Uh, it would be released in 1981 and it would spend a total of 10 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. But her even bigger hit would come six years later with Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. 
She based many of the characters and stories on the things she heard at the Irondale Cafe, a local cafe in Irondale, Alabama, a suburb of Birmingham. And the cafe was actually owned by her great aunt or started by her great aunt. And as Flagg was writing the novel, she sent the synopsis to several publishing houses around the country and every one of them rejected it because they they did not think anyone would want to read a, a book about an old woman at a nursing home. Well, they were wrong. <laughs> Uh, the final publishing company, Random House, uh, read the synopsis and agreed to publish the book. Uh, when it was released, it was praised by famed Southern authors like Harper Lee and what's been a total of 36 weeks in the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. Around this time, around when the time the book was kind of staying heavy or staying heavy rotation on the New York Times bestseller list, film producer John Avnet would catch wind of this book after his friend and fellow producer, Lisa Lindstrom, uh, told him to read the book as soon as possible. After he finished reading it, Avnet loved it, and he then went to the production company of Norman Lear, and he pitched the idea of adapting the novel for film. Lear liked the idea of the book and gave Avnet some money to hire a screenwriter for the film. Avnet ended up calling Flagg and telling her that he wanted to turn her fame, her popular book into a movie, and she told him, I don't know how you can do that because there are like a hundred characters in it. <laughs> um... <laughs> Wow, I mean, she's yeah. not wrong. <laughs> there are no, like... no. Well, like Ninny, like that thing is like Ninny is actually a character in the other period in the book. Like, really? so they really, oh, they, like, yeah. so they show you in, yeah. uh, Ninny in both the in both stories. And the, yes, okay. yes, interesting. Uh, so he asked if she would be interested in writing the script, but she initially declined because she felt she was too close to the material and wouldn't know what to cut for the screenplay. Uh, that is when Avnet hired screenwriter Carol Sebesky to adapt the novel for the screen. But Sebesky took a very different approach when adapting the novel. The first draft of Fried Green Tomatoes was actually a musical. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. It's, it seems like a lot of people like the script, but they're like, this is a different movie uh, than what we were wanting to make. And after writing this draft as well, Sebesky was... is actually suffering from like a blood plasma disease called amyloidosis so she was like kind of in bad health after oh. she finished the first draft so That's due to so that sad. she stepped away from the project and would pass away not too long after i don't know if even the film had been made yet wow um or had had been or i think she might have passed away the year no she passed away the year before so it was before the film came out she had passed away so this was like one of the last two works that she did. Um, so she stepped away from the project due to the illness. Uh, Avnet would then return to Flag and ask her to write the second draft of the script. Uh, she agreed because she felt they had uh, developed, Carol had developed the script well and had deleted a lot of things that she like would not have deleted in the first place. So she like felt like, okay, cool. It's kind of a new thing. Uh, but she would only get through the first 70 pages before telling Avnet she could not finish it. Yeah, the new draft. Avnet, Avnet would then spend about another two years developing the script and writing, rewriting it, with his screenwriting contributions going uncredited for the final film. Interesting. Then when it came to casting, you would think the big roles that would attract stars would be the younger characters, but it was the roles of Evelyn and Ninny that brought in the two big names. It's, it's kind of hard to think about it now, but when looking back at, at what was happening at this time is that Kathy Bates and Jessica Tandy were actually the reigning best right. actress Oscar winners. Uh, Tandy Misery, had won. right, for Kathy yeah, Bates, like, had already come out. Yeah, she had won for Misery in 1990. 
wow. is what it was. So so it was on the ninety one Oscars, but it was for it came right, out in nineteen ninety. Right. And Tandy had won for Driving Miss Daisy the year previous. So this was kind of like in terms of Hollywood, was like this is a dream pairing of like right, the two top right. actresses uh in the world right now. Or in the in a country right now. So once Bates and Tandy were cast, they began searching for the two young leads. Mary Louise Parker was the first choice by casting director David Rubin for the role of Ruth Jameson. Uh, Parker had only been in two movies prior to Fried Green Tomatoes, but she had been nominated for a Tony Award in 1988 for performance in a play called Prelude to a Kiss. Uh, Parker was apparently unhappy with her screen test. Uh, the several screen tests she did, even though Avnet thought she was great in all of them, uh, she would not be happy until she read alongside Mary Stuart Masterson. And the producers agreed that once they saw the duo together, mm. they had phenomenal chemistry. That is undeniable. Yeah, for sure. Too. Yeah, definitely. So the cast now in place and a solid script uh, that was approved by Fanny Flagg before it moved into production. We now move to that. So Amy, at, when looking at this movie, what is a favorite scene of yours in this film? I have a lot of favorite of <laughs> favorites in this movie. Um, but I think like if we're going in chronological order, just like of the movie, I think you I can, ju- you, can ju- you can jump around, you can jump okay. around, but that's fine. Yeah, well, yeah. then I'm going to say that my favorite scene in the entire movie is when Kathy Bates is ramming her car. Into- <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny. The girls, when they, the young girls who were like, we're younger and faster. And then she's like, yeah. I'm older and I have more insurance. I was like, that was just so great. And I, thought it was this really cool moment of like i really resonated like i loved evelyn like i thought she, yeah. like i just loved her character and i thought she was so like you know um relatable especially like to me as a as a woman um and as a plus size woman like her whole like the whole thing about food and like southern women and food is like a whole thing and so like i just loved seeing this moment of her being like no you know what i <laughs> You bitches are not going to get my car my spot. <laughs> you know, it's mine. So I liked well, that. Well, and see, that's what really works. This is, I think Ebert talked about in his review. It's like a lot of movies now have that like that frame narrative where it's like you're the you're hearing the story about the older time. And you're just like, why can't we just stick in the older time right, and, for, right. and forget these new? But what works so incredibly well and what makes that kind of present storyline work is kathy bates as evelyn like because you're seeing a growth in her character right absolutely and i think that's also like inherently southern in some ways too Mm -hmm. like i also think that like southerners use uh like the past as a way to um to help motivate people and inspire them or more like to teach them morality or whatever um i mean and, and i'm not just talking about like past in broad terms i mean i can remember hearing stories about my personal family members you know what i mean that were supposed to help me grow and mature and evolve so i kind of liked that you know what i mean that like i felt like that was kind of almost like a a a nod to southern storytelling in this kind of cool way um where we're seeing like the the direct impact that these two women had on a modern a quote-unquote i mean obviously not modern but you know like yeah. a, a, a modern woman if that makes any sense so yeah I and that. like it it's kind of brought up at the end and like the final scene i think it's like talking about i think uh ninny kind of talks about how like 
now that you know them, like they'll be remembered. It's kind of this right. idea of pa- yes, exactly. pass, pass, passing the legacy on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's I mean I, I, that's happened kind of everywhere. I feel like that's very inherently well. That's that's a big thing in in not just like southern culture but different cultures. This idea yeah, sure, of passing sure, on, sure. Yeah. Pass, passing on legacies. But it, 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 that kind of uh, ending kind of really hits home of the idea of like I'm telling you this so like no matter what happens to these two people, like they might pass away, they they still live on in some way. I feel better now. Good. I feel better because all these people will live as long as you remember. You reminded me about what the most important thing in life is. Do you know what I think it is? No, ma'am. Friends. Best friends. Oh, Minnie. (laughs) And going off that too, weirdly with this, it's like, it's the thing about makes this really Southern is the references throughout of like just local flavor it's like so she's in the winn dixie parking lot the winn dixie the winn dixie <laughs> i i loved that that was such a great my friend from ohio one time i asked uh-huh. her i was like i was like so do you guys y'all don't have winn dixies and she's like <laughs> no <laughs> yeah we don't yeah. have anything with the word dixie, dixie in it, in it. You know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so I was like, that's very sad. But also, she like she brings Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh to, yeah, instead yeah. of Dunkin', she brings Krispy Kreme. Yeah, which like like now probably people are like that's no big deal. But I'm like that's no, like that's Kri- Southern. Krispy Kreme was like always just like a Southern thing. Yeah, because uh, it came out in North Carolina. But so like, yeah, she's doing that. I love even just like her husband uh who's watching like a uh, game? watching a braves game yeah even though he lives in alabama this is the other thing it's like that's the thing it's like people don't, don't have my, my, major league sports in yes. alabama so so you go with what the, what the closest team is which is um, yeah which is usually an atlanta team it's like everyone is it's a falcons fan okay hold up or a saints fan who that well that's okay because i'm from the okay. i'm from the coast of alabama so that's we, fair you know we that's all fair. love okay. the saints so well, cent- well central alabama it's the falcons or yeah, the braves it okay, feels whatever. like yeah yeah it's like maine northern alabama is like the titans yeah like, <laughs> you're right you're right they're close to tennessee so that checks yeah, out yeah yeah it's yeah, just like cent- it's it's like central it's but we like, like the- where yeah <laughs> yeah where you are it's you have to pick because we don't have us we don't have any major por- sports teams you're just like i guess i gotta go with i've really closest. never thought about that but that is a really great way to see like where people are from in alabama oh, yeah. like wait a second what uh nfl team do you support yeah it's like if if you're central or east alabama you're falcons falcons north yeah. you're titans and yeah. lower alabama's the saints i'm a big montgomery biscuits fan for the oh, minor yeah. league teams out there <laughs> i'm anyway. a big fan of the trash pandas <laughs> what were they where were they at again madison the madison, madison trash, trash pandas. pandas this is what anyway. you get for letting yeah this is a tangent the, sorry yeah sorry Go yeah ahead. tangent um but no it's like my grandfather would always watch the braves game in the afternoon that yeah, was kind of yeah. the thing but yeah i love the kind of southern references that like yeah that kind yeah. of are sprinkled throughout uh this movie um so uh, another a scene i love i mean here's the thing masterson and parker just have phenomenal oh, chemistry oh my together. god yes like yeah. it's amazing it's incredible uh, and that that's what always sticks with me i was just like these two are so damn good yeah they are but yeah it's like like the lake scene they kind of have because it's like it, it's like the thing is and that's like a very what's interesting is like that scene could go very different yeah but the undertones are all still there does that make yeah. sense it's like it could go into like a makeout session if it wants to 
or just like sexualize them in some way, but it doesn't. And yeah. And that's, that's kind of the movie as a whole. Like they don't fully go that way if they, like, and they could, or some people would. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a moment where there were moments where I wanted it to be pushed further, yeah. but then I also appreciated that it didn't get exploited because so often like LGBT relations, especially like lesbian relationships yeah. are like so over-sexualized by like just heterosexual like men, you know, cis men who just like, you know, they're just into that or whatever and they fetishize it. And I liked that that didn't happen in this movie. Mm. Like I really did. You know, I did appreciate that. And usually with a male director, which this is directed by uh, Correct. a, a, a yes. guy, it's like that usually like happens. And it's through the male gaze rather than it being like truly this beautiful like love scene between two yeah. women that could be crafted really, really well and really beautifully, but somehow doesn't because it's being watched through the lens of like a horny man. And again, so. and again, I don't want to, uh, cause this, again, this is uh, coming from a, a dude when I'm saying this, it's like, I didn't, and I, cause I usually see this. I don't get the sense. Like there's this male gaze through the movie. And I don't know if that's because it's, I don't either. It's like the fl- no. flag story is what's bringing out, but he also worked, yeah, absolutely. but he also worked heavily on the screenplay of it. Cause she even said like, he did like flag even said like he did tremendous job, like crafting this into a movie. Okay, But here's the thing about this film uh-huh. that they do so well is this is four female leads written by a woman based on a story by a woman. If you're going to direct a movie you know and be a guy this is how you do that you know what i mean like it's like you surround yourself with with the women and with with women and with people who understand the you know the these nuances and these characters innately and i yeah. think that that's something that's done really well in this case you know poker and math bad <laughs> oh Andy, what's your mother gonna say when she sees us both drunk <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stop worrying about what people think. I mean, you've always done the right thing. You took care of your daddy, the preacher, when he took sick. You take care of all the kids over the church school. You're gonna take care of your mama. <laughs> I know, and I'm gonna marry the man I'm supposed to. You're getting married? As soon as the summer's over. <gasps> I just I had really hoped that there was going to be kind of that moment and there was not but I did still love the scene and I loved the intimacy that they created just in their subtlety and um and their reactions to one another I thought those were super um yeah they were great no and that's the thing I think with this relationship is like there is an intimacy that is there that like is not really captured in most like romantic films if that sure, makes sense like, sure. it's like it's it's very it's a little nuanced yeah you nuanced, feel yeah. that well and i think like i also think i mean i not to i know that you know i i'm a woman and obviously like i've had these like intimate kind of relationships with other women before um and i do think there is still a difference here like in the romance fair, like i think fair. that there yeah. are like but i do think in general like 
I was at least raised in a in an environment where women could have more intimate relationships with yeah. with other women than maybe men could have with each other just because yeah. it was like accepted, you know what I mean? So I do have friendships where, you know, we would be playful and do all these things, but I definitely think there's a there's a level of romance mm-hmm. here that cannot be denied, you know, that that doesn't exist in all intimate female friendships. I agree. And I think I think that's why this movie plays with the variety of crowds is because because of the subtlety it's either you kind of see what you want to see in it sure it's absolutely. like you could you could see this this kind of romantic relationship between these two women sure. which is which by the way to to say this masterson and parker were playing it that way oh, they said yeah, they were playing sure. it that way sure. and and that was something we talked about a little bit last week on count hot and roof about paul newman how like the essence of him being possibly like having kind of uh, thoughts for another man are kind of taken away out of the movie, but Newman Newman still played it like, Oh no, I'm in love with this guy that, that killed himself. Like, and these two characters play it like they're in a relation, like they love each other in a romantic, in a romantic way. You know, like in 1991, like I still don't think that, you know, LGBT relationships were not okay in the South. You know what I mean? So I think in a lot of ways to make sure that this movie and this piece of artwork, you know, that has been created by all of these artists and these writers and these collaborators who've come together to create a film, you know, in a lot of ways was also held back by the time because, you know, they couldn't be, um, you know, when your movies are, uh, a little bit more mainstream you know what i mean they're more like books or yeah people can be more selective there are lots of them that you know what i mean like there's more you know just because of the we haven't had the technology for there to be as much you know so i think with films like it really um it limits you in some ways and i think yeah. that's one of the limitations of of the um mode if you will yeah no yeah and so yeah, and it's like with this going off kind of like with the, what was happening in the era, it's like yeah, it's there wasn't a lot, especially mainstream content. Like right. there was content being made that was geared towards the LGBTQ community in in some way. Right. But this was a mainstream, mainstream movie. Film. Right. Uh, and and it's it's when you look up of just like the different articles of of either just female writers or female film critics being like, oh, this is the first time I saw like. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, like, I, I, like, kind of a, as a, as a, like a lesbian woman, they were saying how like this was the first movie. They're like, oh, I, I get this. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is this is me on screen. Um, and and I think someone p- talked about how like at this point in time, like yeah, the big news that was sadly happening was like it was the HIV like AIDS epidemic yeah. that was yeah. like the big news about uh about that community. It wasn't anything done in a positive light fully, and, and this was something that did. And and yeah, you can read into it, and they kind of said like how like it was kind of toned down to where you can read into it how you want to read into it, like because I think St- Masterson said like they didn't want to alienate. It sounded like the studio didn't want to alienate like the older like women that were your aunts that were friends with another older woman like down the yeah, street, like yeah. like it was like. And so it's very much it is at the core of it is still about friendship in some way. Going off that one scene about intimate the intimate scene, uh, one scene I do like. Uh, is the food fight scene. Yes, I have that written down as my... As, my as your next one? Yeah, my next one. Yeah. I think that's actually my favorite scene. Okay, because it's fun. Be it's, 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 so- it's, it's... Abnett has said in interviews or whatever, he said, like, he... That was the love scene of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Is that that was kind of... And, and, and the thing is, they, he does an interesting thing. Like, it's the... 
it's the shots of the people in the like restaurant as they're overhearing them have the food fight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it feels like it's definitely saying something about like Grady oh where are these yeah gives them a these, look yeah, yeah like what are these yeah. two women doing it like right. in front of it yeah right yeah yeah uh it's understated but it's it's there but yeah it's like it's a very like it's a flirtatious scene kind of at, fu- at first in yeah. a way and, and then yeah it's very innocent and very like i mean these are women who we have watched grow up really quickly because we start in kind of their childhood and you know they have this pretty terrible thing happen to them and then we watch ruth you know she goes to get she gets married and she has a baby and she's in this bad relationship and so at this point in the movie like I think this was when we saw their like um, their innocence and we really got to like take a moment to sit with that and to sit in that. Um, And I thought that was a really I just loved that because they've Mm -hmm. been through so much and here they are able to like, you know, I love that. That was cute. Well, yeah, it's like they 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 grow together. They yeah, essentially. I mean, they're, they're working. They own a cafe together. Right. They're essentially they're living ra- life together. Yeah, they're living. They're living life together. exactly. You know, like there's this. There's like, like there's like like they're they're kind of like like they're the figures of the town because they own the cafe. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah, it's like they're. I think it's, they're like raising. They're raising Ruth's son basically yeah. together is the thing. And then spoiler alert: once Ruth passes away, it's like that's gonna be like basically Iggy's just gonna be raising yeah, the kid. His kid and. Yeah, so it's but I I I like all the kind of side characters in their life. Again, it's like the, it's the like the 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 smoky lonesome who's kind of the the kind of hobo who travels around yeah, that they're yeah. they're kind they're, they're friends with. But and we'll get more into some of the other side characters later. I like the performances in them. Or another thing too is like I I do like Tandy's narration. Tandy's narration mm. really does kind mm. of carry us through the story and again it does create that kind of southern folklore like southern yeah. storytelling um essence that is present um uh in the movie what well, you sit and relax a while i'll tell you all about it oh now let's see um i remember the day they pulled that truck up out of the river that same rainy summer day itchy threadwood was arrested for the murder of the owner of that truck Frank Bennett. I guess to understand Itchy, you'd have to start way back with a brother, Buddy. Itchy was Buddy's pet from the day she was born. (laughs) I remember the day we was all getting ready for Leona's wedding. The war had just ended. The great one, you know. And another one was about to begin in the Threadgood house. Do you have another scene? I really love the scene where Kathy Bates has an emotional breakdown. (laughs) Where Evelyn is like losing it and she's talking about um, eating the candy bars and stuff. Like she's like literally going through like, you know, and I loved Ninny's response because my grandmother says that exact same thing to me. And it was so cute because my grandmother's just like tiny, tiny woman. And I'm like a larger woman. And like, you know, they were like walking in the little courtyard yeah. and she was like, I hide candy bars all over my house. And Ninny's like, well, one candy bar won't hurt you. And Evelyn's <laughs> like, yeah, but 10 or 11 will. You know? <laughs> and like, 
like, and that is so me and my grandma. Like, you know, like I've had that exact conversation almost. Yeah. And so I just loved this kind of like very relatable moment for me where I was like, and I think like, I mean, it, I mean, I think all women everywhere struggle with their appearance and with their like, mm-hmm. you know, but in the South, we have like a very, um, a very, very interesting relationship with food as like southerners and as southern women you tell me what's bothering you sugar i just i just feel so useless so so powerless everybody goes through that but i can't stop eating every day i try and try and every day i go off I hate candy bars all over the house. What a candy bar ain't gonna hurt you, none. One, no, but 10 or 11. I can't even look at my own vagina. Well, now, honey, I can't help you on that one. I wish I had the courage to just get it over with and get really fat. Oh, Miss Threadgood, I just... I'm too young to be old, and I'm too old to be young. Maybe I'm just going crazy. So Onset Life. The film would begin shooting in June of 1991. The majority of the film was made in a little town called uh, Juliet, Georgia. Uh, Avnet hired production designer Barbara Lang after working with her on Less Than Zero in 1987, and she was tasked with creating Whistle Stop Alabama. Side note, uh, Lang would later win an Oscar for production design for the 2019 film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, And this is one of her first big production design films, it feels like. Uh, As the team scouted around the South, they landed on Juliet, Georgia, because it was nearly deserted. When looking back on the town, John Avnett said that Juliet wasn't a sleepy town. It was a town that was asleep. The building they chose to be the Whistle Stop Cafe used to be an antique and hardware store, which apparently almost was never open. Uh, They redesigned the space into a cafe and created a horseshoe-like counter in order to get get better camera angles while shooting in the location. One of the most famous moments, which we didn't even talk about, and I I, I, I missed this. It's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, One of the most famous, but there's no dialogue. One of the most famous moments from the set deals with the memorable bee scene. Uh, apparently, oh, I don't know how I, I missed that. It's, I it's on my, it's it. like, it's like at the top of my list. I know. Um, apparently at the very last minute before shooting the scene, Masterson's stunt double did not feel comfortable doing the scene. So she backed out the day of filming. Uh, Masterson volunteered to do the stunt herself since it was apparently the last scene she had to sh- had left to shoot on the film's production. Wow. Avnet also allowed the bees to go on him as well beforehand to see if it was safe before Masterson did the scene herself. Because they apparently had, really fun story, apparently they had an expert beekeeper, Dr. Norman Gray, was this guy on set, and he was just like, he goes, uh, listen to the behind the scenes documentary, this and and like the section when they're talking about this part, and him just like, here's the thing, bees only sting you in self-defense. He's like, if you're calm, they're good. And he's just like explaining wow. all this thing. And he's like, and he, so he was there like, he was there That's kind so of stressful. like. so stressful. I would never have believed that. I would have just been like, yeah. no. And I would have panicked and ruined everything. 
and he's like he's like if you're calm like they're good like they just they're they, they only do it in defense and so that's why abnett did it first uh and he's like oh yeah they're just like kind of crawling over him nothing's really happening um and so yeah gray would be on set like with smoke once it was done he would do smoke and the bees would fly away and if anything ever happened where they got like if, if for some reason he, he thought the beasts were like becoming defensive towards masters and he'd be like run run and do oh smoke oh my yeah. god so but they apparently <laughs> put and apparently i as the as the, they did the take a few times over and over again it's like more bees started like getting on her because because gray put pheromones from the queen bee on masters and that's why they're all over her yeah this is a when nightmare she's <laughs> this is a literal nightmare also yeah I love so much that in 19, like, I 100% was like, oh, obviously CGI, but no. <laughs> like, no, those are bees. Those are real bees. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently it's like, because uh, they hollowed out the the tree that she's in. So Gray is the one who's, like, handing her the honeycomb. So he's kind of there, right there. So he has, like, all his stuff on. Like, he has his smoke. And there's stuff in the behind the scenes of, like, him doing the smoke after, like, once they're done shooting to get the bees off of her and they go back to the uh wow. to the tree basically yeah it's fascinating but yeah he was like he was but i love he's just like sitting by the railroad tracks in the dock talking about like bees are very calm like it's just as long no, as you're calm like they're no, good they're, he's no. like everyone thinks that bees just like want to sting you he's like they don't like just well i mean i calm. do love bees i think they are great <laughs> but I, yeah. I would not be comfortable with that many bees on me like you know what i mean like sure a stray bee every now and then like i'm not gonna kill yeah. a bee like obviously but what <laughs> you know yeah so yeah but i, I love uh, yeah it, it was great but yeah so it seems like from the set like they all loved working together like there was a i'm not surprised by that yeah they all love working together like i think chris o'donnell said he was like yeah i was only there for two weeks but like it felt like a family yeah like on set like he goes because we're in a small town like everyone's staying at the same sure. like two ho two hotels so you're all hanging out after after the film uh and like parker and masterson became great friends while shooting it uh, the, i i would imagine that like jessica tandy and kathy bates like that was all probably shot separately right that was so all shot separately really yeah interact with the other group until probably like press yeah, conferences and stuff yeah it's interesting because because like in the behind the scenes stuff you'll see tan you'll see tan yeah tandy and bates like shooting like like interviews in the in the cafe right um but i don't but i don't know how much like, like were how, they really around you know yeah like, i uh, i i think they were just like in character like they're doing like it was like it was like sure, they're doing press sure. interviews so yeah so it was very close set i think there were some instances of like a lot of mosquitoes yeah like, well cat, hello cat kathy bates was just like i've been to brazil i've seen their mosquitoes <laughs> they're worse in georgia yeah like they are. She, they she's are. like they're terrible she's like they're terrible she's like uh uh and then i think there was an issue of a it was a water moccasin and it might have been in the lake scene where there was a water moccasin that almost bit uh avnet <gasps> like because it was like he has so they're, they're in the water because masterson parker and and avnet i'll talk, talk about the behind the scenes thing where it's like Parker's like, oh, I wasn't in the water. I was not getting in the water that like yeah, then or whatever. Be terrifying. And, and I mean, I wouldn't Matt, care. I get in all sorts of terrible water all the time. I'm, you know. <laughs> apparently, apparently, Masterson saw it, and then someone else saw it, and they said it was a mock Wire Marson who like got into like 
attack mode oh, above no. yeah. going to going towards uh, Avnet, and someone said, said snake. Avnet saw it, and he was just like, "I proved Ron Shelton, the writer of White Man Can't Jump, wrong." I jumped the hell out of there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, when, when I saw that snake. Um, That's so, hilarious. Yeah, so, As being a tried and true Southerner, I almost feel like they get an honorary. So they all get honorary Southern cards for experiencing that because yeah. there is kind of this. Uh, I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know how much time you spent near the water, but I spent a lot of time near the water and water. Not moccasins, as much as you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Water moccasins are not like they they're scary and they move like, you know what I mean? It's it's creepy. It's awful. Um, yeah. So I think they all deserve an honorary uh, Southern card for that. Well, the other thing was like, like part. So I think I don't know if it was that scene or different, but like Parker got leeches on her. Oh, what it God. was. You don't yeah, hear a leech. lot about leeches you yeah. know, lately. Like, yeah. Like, that's so like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Back in the old days. Back uh, in the old days. Yeah. They had, they had like burn like leeches, like, cause they had gotten oh. on, on her leg. And he, she was like, some grip just like, yeah, give me a second. And like lights a match. Oh my God. Yeah. Local crew. Local crew. Yeah. <laughs> Local Georgia crew. Yeah. It's like, they're like, come here. I'm going to flamethrower your leg. <laughs> we teach you how to do yeah. this stuff. Um, so, yeah. So, but yeah, while the shot, while the film was shot mostly in Juliet, the production also shot a lot over Georgia, especially in smaller towns outside of Atlanta, like Noonan. All right. All right. <laughs> and, and, and Fayetteville. Hey, hey. Uh, I've lived in both of those cities. Yeah. If they only knew how popular those areas would be 30 years later in terms of shooting in Georgia. <laughs> I know, right? Specifically with Fayetteville. So yeah, after two months of filming, uh, the production for Fried Green Tomatoes would wrap on August 23rd, 1991. Two months. Not bad. Uh, wow. And that would lead us into our aftermath section because just four months later, the film was released. What? Uh, four yeah. months? Four months later. One, two, three, four. Four, yeah, August 23rd on December 27th, 1991, the film was released. I mean, I guess I realized that because it says 1991 release, and if it ended, then it had to be yeah. pretty quick. But pretty wow, quickly, that seems yeah. Like, that seems like really, wow. The The film was released in only five theaters. What? Uh, it was released in the middle of a crowded Oscar. It's You're about to hear a good story. I, I, I This is really great. Uh, it was released in the middle of a crowded Oscar season, which is when most Oscar movies are highly successful at the box office. And this was not really geared to be an Oscar movie, it seemed like. Uh, And there wasn't much faith in the film because it was a female-led cast. Oh, Um, bump that. At the time, there were big movies like Oliver Stone's JFK or Barbara Streisand's The Prince of Tides and the continuing hits of Beauty and the Beast and Hook. When looking at the release calendar after production wrapped, Avnet said, I would look down these lists and see the other titles and I would think, it's such a long shot. How is anyone going to even know about it? Hmm. And the film debuted to mixed reviews from most mainstream critics. Uh, the headline for the from the Chicago Tribune read, Fried Green Tomatoes, A Little Too Soft and Mushy. Hmm. Uh, but Roger Ebert gave it a fil- the film a positive review. While he said it was fairly predictable, and the flashback structure is a distraction, the strength, the strength of the performances overcomes the problems of the structure. Even with all of that, when the film was released, it had a very strong word of mouth. It would, when it comes to film releases, word of mouth is kind of the best form of advertising because it's completely free. Uh, 
The film would join the trend of female-led movies that began to overperform at the box office in 1991 and the early 90s. Many people credit this with Thelma and Louise as beginning the trend because that was also released kind of summer of 91. After a month in limited release, Fried Green Tomatoes expanded to a wider audience, and it seems that word of mouth really helped with the wide release. While it wasn't topping the box office, the film was consistently putting up solid numbers with very minimal drops from week to week. And it seems the film was doing incredibly well in small towns. And one theater exhibitor at the time said, John Cryer, uh, not John Cryer from Two and a Half Men. Uh, John Cre- <laughs> it might be John Creer. It's, it's a K. Uh, said, about, said about the film that when they like it in the smaller towns, that's a sure sign it's going to be a success. Hmm. And the funny part is, when I was sitting in a film class for my master, someone said, we don't uh, market films to the south or small towns because no one goes to them. Yeah, uh, that's... Oh, oh, how times have changed. <laughs> yeah. Many of the industry insiders were crediting the appeal that Kathy Bates and Jessica Tandy had with the audiences with the film's success at the beginning. But after some market research, they realized the film was not just doing well with older audiences, but with younger audiences as well. So they actually changed the marketing and the posters, which only featured Bates and Tandy, to feature Tandy, Bates, Parker, and Masterson. The research was also showing that it was testing well across all demographics, both male and female goers, mm. uh, female film goers. So the film was essentially, uh, to get kind of technical, was a four-quadrant movie, which surprised Universal Pictures and Hollywood at the time. And for those who don't know, four-quadrants means like studios want films uh that hit they would nowadays they want films that hit all four quadrants most of the time back in the 90s you wanted like two quadrants and the quadrants Mm -hmm. are males under 25 males over 25 females under 25 females over 25 right i see you want to hit two quadrants so basically the studio probably thought this would just hit the female quadrants of under 25 and over 25 or over may like it's basically old older women taking their older husbands to the movies it's one of those two uh, and so that's your basic tent poles. And so what they were surprised by was that it hit all these quadrants yeah, without them focusing on it. And it became a small version of the Avengers or Wonder Woman. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, I like that because comparison. It, because it hit every quadrant for the time. So the film's production budget uh, was $11 million. It would end up grossing $119 million worldwide. Wow. Which is, a, which is about $240 million today. That's impressive. I mean, I mean, they made a lot more than they, than they, yeah, that's. Yeah. And for like, cause basically they, it was in theaters for months was the thing. It just kept staying like in that $8 million, $5 million range for like months. The film would also receive a little awards love, uh, eventually receiving two Oscar nominations, one for Jessica Tandy and best supporting actress and another for best adapted screenplay for Sabisky and flag. Fair. Uh, the sound, Silence of the Lambs, however, would beat out the film for Best Adapted Screenplay, and Tandy would lose to Mercedes Rule for a performance in The Fisher King. The film, however, would win a GLAAD Award in 1992 for Best Film with Lesbian Content. Interesting. Even Even though it was only subtext and it wasn't actually explicit? Yep. Interesting. I mean, it was 1992, so yeah. There you go. Um... But as the years have gone on, the film has continued to have a lasting legacy with audiences. Just this past May, 2021, for those listening in another year, uh, TCM <laughs> TCM hosted a 30th anniversary celebration of the film through Fathom Events, and it was shown across the country in select theaters. Juliet, Georgia is now a tourist attraction for many fans because yes, the, ca- the, ca- the cafe is now a working cafe. Mm-hmm. 
so that's kind of, so it has this kind of lasting legacy and like i said we it's been kind of heralded by many as a as a lesbian classic due to the intimate relationship in the film and even more so in the book i think masterson said that there were some scenes that were cut from the film that made it more apparent interesting yeah i that they're afraid they were to alienate older southern women at the right. time was what it was um because hmm. she spoke about that i think at like a sundance a few years back when someone asked her about it and she was like, I wish we would have done more yeah, with it. Yeah. And it's easy to say it now, but like, it's got a thing it's in the context hindsight of hindsight 2020 the, of like, yeah. you, you didn't know where it was going. I mean, I think that there was enough evidence that there was a trajectory, but definitely yeah. not to be confident that it would be successful at the box office and like not, you know, so. All right. So let's move into what worked about this movie. So what worked to, for you? Well, first of all, I think we've said it in every other way but yeah. masterson and parker's chemistry is just Amazing. you know yeah it's phenomenal it's yeah. palpable it's you know it's they're both incredibly talented they deliver things with such subtlety and nuance and they play off of each other and um yeah it totally works i agree i, I performance is all around uh i i again i love the locations of it i think yeah i think about how like how they shoot georgia i wrote that down yeah yeah you don't see. I mean, I know it's, it's. so. I mean, nowadays with everything being filmed in Georgia, yeah, sure. You don't really get <laughs> sure. to see Georgia that much in yeah. those films. No, is the thing. Well, I think you know they're also. Um, I think it's so hard. I mean, you know, as a filmmaker from the, you're a filmmaker from the South. I mean, you can attest to this. Like, I think there's. It's a hard thing to do to find a location that is very Southern, but also unique and like, very yeah. like it has some identifiable, like something special about it. You know what I mean? Because truthfully, yeah. like this is going to sound bad, but you know, the whistle stop cafe could really be anywhere in these small town. I mean, there are yeah dozens of small towns with adorable little cafes and buildings and things. So it can be hard to figure out like, okay, which one is the right one for this yeah. film? And they did that. They figured that yeah. out. They, they, you know, I liked well, that. Well, it's like, cause he talked about that. It's like the locations, like you're right by the, you had to get one that's right by the railroad tracks. Cause that's yeah. real. Like that's, that, those are railroad tracks. Right. Right by the town. Uh, you had to find a town that was like, pretty much abandoned or like wasn't much because like when they came there they said like there was only like one person that lived on that street that they were filming in wow. and that was it, it they're like, like it was like it was this old woman who was like an extra in the movie and like <laughs> of course she was and she, and she and she had become everyone she goes i know it was the producer saying like yeah when we we're leaving we just like she was like bye just like like standing on the road waving at yeah. waving at us as we were all leaving adorable um and then it's like now, and, you, and this was like this was like in the '90s when I, for this behind the scenes thing, and it's like now it's just like this like flourishing town with like these tourist attractions and and gift shops and people living there. Um, but it's also like it was right by the, a river as well was the thing. So you had he's like it kind of white broadened yeah. the the location more. So it's yeah, Barbara Lang, who the production design I think did an amazing job of just like finding and her team finding this town. Um, yeah. Yeah, and 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 going for, and also not just that going from the kudzu covered town to the like old well, and the old timing department. and locations department. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I mean they yes. did a great job of you know finding the space and creating the space. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to say? Not about that in particular, but I do have one more thing that I think worked really well. Yeah. 
Um, I kind of, you know, you mentioned Ebert earlier about how like it was like he said that the the jumping back and forth could be somewhat distracting. But I actually yeah. like I put Evelyn's story arc as a what worked because I thought yeah. story wise, I really liked that she was experiencing the story and her life was changing, you know, like in real and we were watching that in real time and I quote unquote real time. But, you know, like I really I really enjoyed that. Um, and I thought that that was a really well-developed story arc and it was not your typical, you know what I mean? Like it kind of felt, um, it was just different. It was a little, I, you know, you see like, I think like in a lot of Southern films, you know, women might change in subtle ways, but maybe they don't like fully, but no, they just like went for it. You know, yeah. like I loved that. I loved her no. like kind of, yeah. Ownership. And, I agree. No, yeah. and, he, and he and he does briefly say in the review, he goes, one of the reasons why this movie survives that flashback structure is that it devises an interesting character to be a listener to the long ago story. And that's Evelyn Couch. Right. Um, right. So so he he's like basically just said as a whole, he doesn't like flashback stories like that. But he's like, it survives it because she's so relatable and you just she's like, so relatable yeah, yeah. and she's act she's active right. that's the key she's an active character well and also like i think one thing that i really like too um and this might be getting like more technical about like southern tropes and things that's but, fine no, yeah, be, yeah be I technical that's, a, I guess that's, that's the show the whole show yeah but i mean like there's this whole like idea that women in the south um we kind of fall into two categories. You're either like this, like loud outspoken kind of like Southern woman who can't mind her manners and like, you know, and like, yeah. uh, all this, or you're this dutiful kind of like wife loving and that still exists. <laughs> like, you know, mm -hmm. like those two cat, like those, like they definitely still exist. And so, um, I thought it was and, a really, and some people think you can't be, you can't be like, you have to be one or the other. You have to be one or the I other. Think. And I can yeah. go ahead and tell you as a Southern woman, like that's simply not true. Like there are yeah. moments and people that I'm, you know, I might be more, you know, dutiful to certain people than others. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Just based on like my respect for them or my relationship with them, you know? So I, I thought that was a really a realistic portrayal of Southern women as well. That Evelyn is like a very, you know, like it, it's a very relatable and, and maybe i should say like southern white woman because i definitely yeah. don't think that experience is like a universal southern experience but i definitely think like it's a southern white woman like um so i liked that for those of you who are not from the south that's just a little bit of you know like insight from your southern friends <laughs> for, our, from, for our belgium listeners for our, out there yeah for our belgium <laughs> listeners uh, uh that's yeah just know. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, did anything not work? Yeah. So I have a few things that I felt like didn't work. Um, I'm going to save some of the more obvious stuff and start like with something that I, I didn't like. Um, I felt like Nini at the end, her hint of being edgy. Yep. I hated I hate that. It. Hate I hated it. it. Hate it. Hate, hate it. it. <laughs> so much. And like, I, the whole, like, it was just so uninteresting and so like yeah. silly and stupid. It's very, it's, it's very, like, it's, it's very of the time. Of, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's of the time. It's very it's of the very time. Like, yeah. Like, I guess, again, I keep going back to Ebert, but Ebert even says he's like, uh, uh, let's see. I'm going to read this out because I think it's funny. Uh, I usually can't see what the point is. Why not just tell a story from the past and be done with it? And my blood always curdles a little toward the end of these flashback movies when, hold on, can you believe it? The person telling the story is actually that young person from all those years ago. Yeah. 
uh, parentheses gasp. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, the story actually happened to. Yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, he, he, so yeah, I agree. And so even in that moment, it's like, oh, do we have to do that? But it was very like kind of mainstream, like, it would be cool if we like if it's like it's they're connected. <laughs> yeah, when it's, I hated when it's, it. When it's more interesting, if like she's the, if she's like, actual like girl narrator. in town, nar- the yeah. narrator like if if Nanny's actually like a girl in town, yeah, who saw who saw these two women and was inspired by their friendship inspired and their relationship. Yeah, exactly. Like, why can't that be enough? Like, why you know? I agree with you. I agree with you. As I said early on, it's the portrayal of 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 the people of color in the movie with yeah. like cecily tyson or uh stan shaw like i think both phenomenal actors i think they it's it's like how it's like i think they're good in the movie but that's not because the characters are good characters because they're good they're good actors um and, and i think if you if you made that movie today y- you have to fix that issue because well and i also think you know, one of the things I was thinking about when I was listening to you and Thomas kind of even just in the initial like defining this genre as Southern Gothic and really talking about like that comparison to literature and all of these different things, it kind of reminded me like I was thinking about it. I was like, there are so many films that we don't consider Southern films that are Southern films. Like, you know what I mean? Like Selma is a Southern film. Like, yeah. it is a Southern story. It's a Southern film. There are, you know, there are movies like, but they the the difference i think is that like you're talking about more of um kind of a specific southern film you know what i mean and in these specific southern films we see this this is not the only southern film of this style that gets the representation of you know people of color wrong and um so yeah i I, it's a it's a it's a well, I was saying it's a consistent theme. And we talked, I mentioned this last week with Thomas, we were talking about uh, Cow on the Hot Tin Roof of how like you can, you can draw the line from Cow on the Hot Tin Roof to Moonlight because Moonlight is, is it, it because some of us say it's not a sudden story, but like it's set in Florida. The yeah. third act is yeah. the third act set, the third act set in Georgia. Like it's, it deals with repressed feelings sure. and repression. Yeah. So it's, it's still, it's, it deals with kind of sexuality in some way of repressed sexual or sexual repression. So like, and that's all things of the genre. Right. Um, and so I, 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 yeah, I agree. That's why I said kind of earlier, it's like, we are the Southern genre, the Southern film is, is evolving luckily when it comes to adding more voices and adding more experiences than we always talked about. So it's like, that's the thing is that fried green tomatoes, would not exist in this form today for um, sure yeah and 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 you ha- i don't know how what you would do to kind of update it in this way um but yeah it's like that's that's an issue that that is is present throughout many of the early films and really doesn't change i mean i don't know say when it changes 2000s 2010s yet yeah, with yeah. the rise of yeah. things like selma and moonlight um and kind of these indie films so yeah but that's that's the big issue that i that we keep running into on every film um i'm gonna ask this because i don't this is a spoiler because this is pretty late in the movie but if you're here you should know um <laughs> and i don't know if this is a did anything not this if this doesn't work or this did work but i want to bring it up here how do we feel about them cooking frank bennett <laughs> and um, turning him into barbecue i mean we were talking earlier about the importance of food in the South. 
Yeah. So, you know, I want to make it very clear to our listeners. Um, we don't eat people in the South. <laughs> it's not, a, you know. Um, we're, not cannib- we're not cannibals. We're not cannibals. Um, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. It was very, um, it took It comes a, in late. It comes in very late. And you're like, oh. It took a real hard turn for me there for a minute. But I also kind of wonder, like, okay, do we really think he did it? Like, do we really think that's the truth? Or do we think this is the legend? That's the key. You know, and I think, like, maybe it's a legend, you know, because it's the one story I think that Nini doesn't finish with, like, a real clear, like, you know what I mean? She says the secrets in the sauce. And it's kind of like, mm, I don't know, you know, like, I, I just, I think that's a legend. I don't think they yeah, that, actually that's, ate. That's, that's what I wanted. I'll have a story question about later too. But like, it's, I was like, I agree with you now when talking about it, like, it could just be like, is that part of the folklore of just like, oh yeah, I heard they cooked him and yeah. turned him into barbecue. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I can and, so and, see and fed that. him to that dude. Yeah. You know, like I could see that totally being the story, but I don't know that it's the real thing that actually happened. Is it the Boo Radley story of like uh, he he grabbed a pair of scissors and stabbed all of his family and then just went back to cutting the paper? <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah, like who it's knows? Like, we don't really know. Things get exaggerated in the South a little bit. They sometimes, do. They do. You know. So yeah. So 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 I don't know if it fully worked, but it's just, it's just, it's it's, yeah. it's a weird left turn at the end. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Alternate universe cast people who were up for the role at some point in the making of the movie. Okay. So two people. Uma Thurman auditioned for the role of Iggy. Interesting. But, did, but didn't I'm, get it. Yeah, she was she, she was young. She was like, she was like probably early 20s, uh, maybe I mean, maybe 19 or something. I don't know. Uh, Susan Sarandon was considered for the role of Evelyn Couch. Hmm. Different, different character. Yeah. I love Susan Sarandon. I think Kathy Bates works perfectly for this oh, role. Oh, I so do too. Yeah. It makes the most sense. It's, it's, there's something about it. Again, you, I mean... Uh, she is a character we don't fully see a southern character we don't really see in movies in a way like and then yeah, like her cat yeah. at this point like it's like she she's and susan sarandon goes more into a different like type of like southern woman yeah southern woman yeah and i think kathy bates i think works is, is is more interesting well i think there's a difference between a middle-class southern woman and a wealthy southern woman like you know yeah. i think susan sarandon might have just been slightly too highbrow like kathy bates plays just kind of this like normal southern woman i mean i i feel like susan's i don't know that she could have pulled off that like middle class kind of she, you know what I mean? you think she could she, she could she could i just think it's a different tone i think kathy bates's humor is different uh than susan sarandon okay, and i think it enough. works i think it works more for for her in this role um all right that's on that film facts uh the food fight was done in one take interesting they had three cameras and they shot in one take um fanny flag plays the uh, motivational speaker that talks about adding that spark back to your marriage like the first <laughs> that's amazing the, fir- that's the first one they do so yeah it's fanny flag again I, I said i watched a lot of home video trailers for this film about promoting it it seems they had a marketing partnership with mary Kay cosmetics yeah i saw that <laughs> so that if you so if you if you bought a vhs copy of the film you got some products or what they called a makeover <laughs> is oh, what it was 
if like, if you brought it back after you like bought it and watched it, you could see, or you know, it was like a preview thing. Like you got like a discount of something. It was like it was also they were trying to, like like start, like cycle through tapes is what it was, and like they gave you like a discount if you brought it back. So That's yeah, hilarious. I love it. Uh, while on set, Abnett referred to Mary Louise Parker and Mary Stuart Masterson as Lou and Stu because their <laughs> because their names were too similar. That's cute. I like that. Yeah. Last thing, can you guess what the most unpleasant scene was for Kathy Bates? She said, "Uh, jumping on the trampoline for hours and hours." No. Probably after take after take. She said the most unpleasant scene to shoot was the Win Dixie scene when she rams her car into the other woman's really? car. Why? Bates said it was so hot because it was the middle of the summer in Georgia and the wig she was wearing like was just like, made her so like sweat oh, and be no. hot. And she she said like whatever happens there better be AC in that car. That's hilarious. And and apparently something happened where the AC didn't work. And and she <gasps> she, she goes she goes I don't know why Yankees always want to shoot films in the south during the summer. I just don't get it. Oh my god, that is hilarious! That is so, so yeah. funny. But she's she's like apparently she like I think she got upset and she's like yeah I could just I could see it in the local newspapers the next day like uh, Hollywood film actress goes berserk and like is like <laughs> she's like I just I could see it happening because I was That's so upset amazing. that I was so hot because it was like midday and mi- you know midday midday in the, in south, the south she's in not the wrong August. she is not wrong you know she's not wrong at all. so but she was. I, she was born in the South. Kathy Bates is from is a Southerner. Yes, where is she from again? Tennessee. She's from Memphis. Okay. Yeah. So like, SMU, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she 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 knew. She gets it. She, she gets, gets it. it. So she was like, she was already prepared. She was like going in like. These well, that's why I love. That's why I love. She goes. I, I I love her use of. I don't know why Yankees always yeah, want to shoot. That films makes in more the sense. South. Knowing she's from yeah. the South. Yeah. 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 All right. So story questions. My only big one that's not the where's Iggy uh is uh did they feed the barbecue of Frank Bennett to everyone or just that investigator who kept coming back ew ew (laughs) don't know and if so how did they store that like what was like what was the process of that of that like it feels like it was way too long he kept coming back he came for like years for years like surely they did not just keep feeding this man and like put it in the freezer i feel like like that's having evidence for too long if yeah that's a lot if they did do this and it wasn't just legend yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do kind of love the scene where like they're cooking the they're cooking him and they're and Stan Shaw's just like are we sure about this? Like- yeah. Yeah. Like, are we going to do this for real? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly, man. Okay. So assuming the legend is true, <laughs> let's just go ahead and make the assumption that the legend is true for this question yeah. in particular. Yes. I think they probably fed it to the entire town to get rid of it. That's what I think too, which is crazy. And that's why I have such a hard time thinking that it's not just a legend. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I don't think that these like fairly normal people, right? Not not even fairly, they're just normal people would just like, you know, let's feed the entire town a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, it doesn't make sense. So yeah, that's what so yeah, I agree with you. I think it might just be legend. All right, moving on to awards. This will be interesting. Uh, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor and actress limit scenes that kills it. I really struggled with this because. So do I. I really 
there were so many characters with limited scenes in this movie yes. that I thought were fantastic. Um, my my gut, my like initial gut thought was Chris O'Donnell because his scenes as Buddy really set up this dynamic and set up like the emotional kind of the relationship, who Iggy is as a person and this like the stories that keep getting repeated are his. And like, I think that that emotional scene at the end when Ruth is dying and Iggy's telling the story again, that's yeah. like, I feel like that had so much emotional weight because of the adorable scene that we got with Buddy and Iggy in the beginning of the movie. And we understand that that's an emotional moment. She lost Buddy. She's now losing Ruth. Like, you know what I mean? So I just really liked it. But I think there were so many other great actors in this. So I'm, I want to hear your thoughts too. For yeah. Sure. No, I'll, I'll, also I do, I do like that. I didn't bring it up, but yeah, the scene when she's retelling the story, uh, kind of, kind of Ruth's death scene. Yeah. Um, I, I think is a great, I think it's done. It's shot well. Cause it's like, it's like, and I listened to Avnet talk about like shooting that scene of how like he didn't just want to like show a scene where like Parker just like, uh, yeah, like, like just died. And yeah. so it's done this it's it's like they he talked they talked about how like sometimes you just miss it when someone goes. Yeah. And yeah. that's what kind of happens that she's off by the window telling the story as Parker's yeah. or as as Ruth is listening and when she comes back Ruth's Ruth's passed on in that moment in time and she just missed that moment. Yeah. And I I think that's a very realistic thing. I think it's and yeah. I think it's a a very smart choice to do that. Um so with people um I I really like Timothy Scott as Smokey Lonesome. Oh, kind I do of, too. He's on my I, list as well. It's he's a he's a very just like tragic character. Yeah. And yeah. and or Tim Scott's his name because uh, he actually he actually passed away a few years after this film, like four years after this film. So this oh. is one of his last mo- it was one of his last movies. I didn't recognize him from anything else, but I, I yeah he my- he he hasn't been in much. He was in footloose it looks oh, like interesting i don't know who he plays in footloose but he was he was a character in footloose i think he might have been the dude that runs the like mill that kevin bacon works at and lets them have the dance at but i'm not positive well his his character is really kind of i think the symbol of their goodness and yeah. you know what i mean like because more than um big george and sipsy who i think are there um i mean like you know to be a part of Iggy and Ruth's like life and help them yeah. and serve they're kind of like serving the two yeah. in a lot of ways um Smokey's the you know or Tim Scott's character Smokey he really represents like what Iggy and Ruth are giving to others you know yeah um and so I liked all of his kind of um I loved all of his little scenes and stuff too were really good yeah because yeah because because uh Nini has this little great narration of like talking about when Smokey Lee left town after Ruth died. Right. And it's yeah. this kind of thing that like, it makes it seem like Smokey was really in love with Ruth and yeah. like, yeah, like, but, but it, it, but it might not, but I don't know if it's say, I don't know if it's not really done like a way of like, he loved her and like wanted it to was be just with her. Kind of but like, like, we all respect, did is what her, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like, so I don't really know that it was like love, you know, romantic love. Yeah, but and but it's like when he's when he tries to stand up to Frank Bennett, like when he's taking the baby. Yeah, like it's just he's yeah, it's just a very it's almost eternal. Think, actually, it feels yeah. very like yeah, yeah, it does, it does. Where it's like he co- he comes and goes at certain points. Um, so uh, 
I, I like Gaylord Sartan, who plays Ed Couch, the her 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 husband, yeah. Kathy Bates' yeah. husband. Yeah. There's a lot of people. I uh, I'm gonna say Tim Scott. Okay. Tim Tim Scott's my pick. All right. I'll I, I will I will second that. We can go with Tim Scott. I feel like that's a very admirable choice. It's funny how strong Ruth affected everyone. Even Smokey Lonesome. When he died a few years back, he had one possession on him. A picture of Ruth. He was in love with her from the first time he saw her. We all were. Annie Potts X Factor Award supporting actor and actress that is most memorable. Who are we considering supporting? That's what I don't know. Because it's weird because I have Jessica Tandy down for mine. And I have Kathy Bates down for mine. And that's the thing I'm trying to decide. is like, are they supporting or are they leads? I feel like, you know, it's hard because they were bill- they were top billing when yeah, the movie that's came the out. Thing. And it, so it says starring Kathy Bates. But really and truthfully... From like a film perspective and a story perspective, I really feel like they're supporting the story yeah. and the narrative more than they are actually leading the story forward, if that makes any sense. Like they're both well-rounded. They have their own, but I just don't know that they're. Yeah. And I, I, it's like, well, let's see, see, Tandy, I think is, is the interest, the, the, the better argument too, because I feel like Bates has an arc. Yeah. That's which fair. In ter- that's in turn- makes her a lead. Yeah. That's fair. a lead lead in that story. Yeah. When, for sure. Tan- when, when Tandy's still just like, she's telling the story. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that. So that's the one thing. So do you want to go guess, with Tandy? Yeah. Let's go with Jessica Tandy then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jessica Tandy for Annie Potts X Factor award. Well, why would anyone want to steal an old lady's home? What was nothing? Oh, honey. Nobody stole it. They had to tear it down. It was condemned. I'm sorry, I should have told you. Somebody should have told me. I'm old, I'm, I'm not a child. I'm sorry. My husband Cleo and I lived in this house for more than 40 years. Now it's, it's gone. 83 years worth of living. And all that's left of me is what's in this box. Bunch of old cards and pictures. Come on. I'll take you home. This is my home. And now it's gone. And Mrs. Otis is gone. I, I, I don't quite know what to do. I, it's the first time I can remember when I don't have a soul to look after. All right. The Gene Hackman MVP Award, person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. Who do you have? Mary Stuart Masterson. That's my pick as well. Yeah. I mean, she just, she's so good and you can't stop watching her. And you, you know, it was funny when Ninny said the whole thing is like, you know, speaking of that line about like, we all loved Ruth. I was like, really? Because I yeah. think we all love Iggy. Like, you know, like. Yeah, I love Iggy. She's just like, she's such a great character. Like, she's so, I don't know. Like, I want to be her. Like, I want to be yeah. her, you know? She's Huck Finn. Like, she's Huck Finn. She's the female yes. version of Huck Finn. She's totally the female version of Huck Finn. Yes. She is. Like, you just, she has this, um, this presence that she just, yeah, like, this you know, en- energy, energy, this energy, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, and I love, the thing is, I love Mary Stuart Mash in almost anything I've seen her in. Yeah. Uh, I think, especially, because I, I think she's great in the movie, Some Kind of Wonderful. I think she is great in this, and, like, 
I, I wish she was in more things, honestly. Yeah. Um, She's so talented. Like it was just such a great performance. And I guess yeah. I, because yeah, so Parker, Parker is great, but, but uh, Masterson like really pushes the movie forward. To Parker's credit and Bates's credit, it was written for Masterson in so many ways. Like I think the writing really also complimented for that edgy, performance. Yeah, for like, edgy. I yeah, yeah like, I agree. You know what I mean? I, I think she just had the, cause I mean, Parker's fantastic. She's a great actress. She there's, there, she doesn't misstep. It's not like you know what I mean. I there was never a moment where I thought, oh, she's not as good. It was just I thought that Iggy was a more interesting character, and Masterson was a you know. Here you are, my damn. This is for you. What? Why did you do that? He could have been killed. I'm sorry. Don't you want the honey? Got it just for you. It's all right. I do it all the time. I never get stung. Honest. Don't be mad at me, Ruth. Oji, I'm not mad at you. No fooling. Is it bad what I did? No. I thought it might be crazy or something. No, no. No, I've heard there were people who could charm bees. I've just never seen it done. I thought it, hey, you're just a bee charmer. Edgy thread good. That's what you are, a bee charmer. Okay, final questions. If this movie was remade today, which by the way, it's getting a TV show. Is it? Uh, yeah, Reba, Reba's doing it. I don't know who she's playing, but, but Reba is doing it. Probably Evelyn. But let's, yeah, I think Evelyn, but let's ignore that. Ignore that. If you're making this into a movie or a show, if you want to, who do you cast? Really just go for the main four. Yeah. Main four roles. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I absolutely failed. I could not think of anyone for Ninny. So we should just get that one out of the way because I was like, I'm. I have two Ninnies. Okay. Give them to me because <laughs> I honestly, I got nothing. I have nothing. Shirley, Shirley McLean is one of my ninnies. Okay. I honestly, I looked at Shirley McLean and I was like, mm, maybe. Is it too, is yeah. it close? Is it like the worry is like, cause she's played Weezer and still Magnolias. It's right. like, like, it's like, it's a little bit, you know, I just. Yeah. My other pick, I don't know if you know her that well enough, but we, we, Thomas, I talk about on the show a lot, but Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Okay. I saw her on a list too. And, um, and I thought just from looks alone, I don't, I haven't seen a ton of her movies, but, and that's part, I think that was part of the reason I felt like I couldn't pick one is cause I was like, there are a couple of women that I might choose based on yeah. like looks, but I don't consume a lot of like movies with them. So I don't really know, but yeah, I mean, yeah. El yeah. Ellen Burstyn. The last thing is that that's, if it's an older actress, it's like, cool. It's Helen Mirren. It's Judy Dench. Yeah. Like, uh, Mel, it's Meryl Streep or something like it's it's like those are kind of the range. And I felt like Meryl was just slightly too. She's too young. young. Yeah, she's too young. And not I'm even like, slightly. Like, like I think she's fairly. She's, no, she's, she's too young. She's too young. young. Yeah. I mean, Je Jessica Tandy was like one eighty two oh, when she did this movie. Okay. So yeah. So yeah. Okay. Well, I think you did good. I'm sorry that I don't know a lot of those. It's but. okay. It's okay. Alan Burson's my pick for that though. So. Okay, so you want to we'll do go with that one? You want to do Evelyn next? Yeah, I mean, this might be an obvious choice, but I think Melissa McCarthy. That's my pick as well. Yeah. Oh, yay! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, just, I, I think Melissa McCarthy could totally pull it off, and like, I don't know, she. I think 
maybe to people who are like who know her from more of her like mainstream stuff and who didn't watch Gilmore Girls like it might yeah, yeah. I don't know I just I feel like she in Gilmore Girls she played like Suki is such like a um like a kind like this inner like very kind like sweet like soul you know what I mean yeah and she just plays that so well and I think that's the one thing I really like about Evelyn is like Evelyn's just like a good person like Evelyn is just like she's a great person and that is how exactly how I would describe uh Melissa McCarthy's character in Gilmore Girls is like Suki is just like a good person you know yeah so no I, I agree yeah. uh so Melissa McCarthy all right for Ruth okay so for Ruth um okay I have someone that I'm not sure that you'll know very well um I actually had three options for Ruth okay Give me all three. I'm going to go with the one that you might not know as well. Um, So Phoebe Denever, do you know her? She plays Daphne in Bridgerton, and she was also Claire in the show Younger. I don't. I don't know her. Okay. Um, She is uh, not... She's uh, she's an uh, English, Irish um, English, yeah. English, yeah. Um, And she's just really great, and I think she is one of those people that, like... You just kind of love her. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I thought she might be able to pull that off. That's probably terrible. You don't even know her. So we'll move on to two that I know you know. Um, okay. Florence Pugh was on my list. Yeah. Okay. And Shailene Woodley. Okay. Florence Pugh feels more like an itchy to me. Um, yeah, a little bit more. I thought that yeah. too. That's actually why she was kind of like a hesitant yeah, on my yeah, list. Yeah, so yeah, I was like, yeah. mm, she might be more of an itchy. I mean, here's, but- here's the thing. Because we, we I, Thomas and I always pick Florence Pugh for a lot of things. So yeah, yeah yes. But I agree with you. Florence Pugh, I think, could either pl- could play could either, play of, these either of these roles. Really, yeah. I, I like Shailene Woodley. I, I do too. I, I, I do too. Like my my pick was way more like comedic and a little bit a little bit older. Oh. Uh, but this is more for you to k- tell me one. I I had like Anna Kendrick on my list for that. Really. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't, don't know think if she, she can pull off the demure kind of because I think she's a little bit more reserved. That's fair. Not, I, not yeah. uh, Anna Kendrick is not more reserved. I think that Ruth is more reserved than Anna Kendrick. Okay, well, I, I I'm gonna I'm hold off on Ruth until you tell me the Iggy because Florence Pugh could could be the person or Shailene or Shailene yeah. Woodley. That's what I'm saying. Like so, and I have two. Um, I have two Iggy's. Okay, who do you have for Iggy? Caitlin Dever. Okay. Um, so I just think she's fantastic and she kind of has this like tough energy, like she can take it, you know what I mean? She's a, um, she does really well, but she's also like, she can be also very sensitive and I mm-hmm. just really like her a lot. Um, I love her, yeah. Yeah. And Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. I thought about Saoirse. But she's, I think it's too much like Joe. She's too much like Joe March, like from yeah. like Joe March and Iggy are kind of similar characters, you know? So yeah. I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Is that too close to something she's already kind of done? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, we'll stick in the, we'll stick in the younger. Uh, I okay. So I'm trying to think. I almost there's two ways you could do this. You could go against type, which is Cat Catlin or Caitlin Deaver as Iggy and Florence Pugh as Ruth, or you go for type and Florence Pugh as Iggy and Caitlin Deaver as Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because I, I think Deaver could I, I, Deaver feels more like a Ruth, but again, could play either of them. Yeah, I, but I think that's kind of the thing. Like, I think if you, yeah, I don't know. I think they're both really talented. I think they're both very talented actresses who could play kind of either character. 
And I think that Ruth and Iggy, I think in so many ways are, they're soulmates. Yeah. Their souls are connected. They have some similarity in that they're both, you know, they're both fighters. They're both, you know, they're, I mean, Ruth doesn't back down, you know, when Frank goes after Iggy, Ruth like is like, don't put your hands on her. Like, don't touch her. She starts to fight. So like, I think in some ways, like it's okay that the, the two actresses playing them could be somewhat, yeah, you know, they have parts of each other. They have right. parts of each other on each. Oh, yeah. that was beautiful. They have parts of each other. <laughs> Both in character and in real life. So yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like Caitlin Deaver as Ruth and Florence Pugh as Iggy. Yeah, that's that's right. what I like. Great. But we don't have to do what I like. <laughs> you 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 at home listening have your own Dreamcast. Tell us what you think. Yeah, we we have our own thing. Uh, that's that's just the names. That's the that's the 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 headshots on the on the uh, on the bulletin board. When we're trying to decide to cast this movie. Um, so does this film fit with any other genres? Um, well, I definitely think it's a coming of age story. Um, in a lot of ways, I don't know that it it hits yeah. all of those, but I do think it. You know, I think we watch Iggy grow up. Yes. You know what I mean? And I don't just mean like <laughs> literally time passes and we watch her grow yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, we yeah. watch her take on more responsibility. We see her kind of, you know, uh put her own personal needs aside for the will of other people and kind of growing as a collective and in the community. I think that's a, you know, um so I I kind of think that it might fall into that line. I think with a lot of these like southern films we talk about, they're very much inherently southern uh at the end of the day it's it's like yeah they're they're a drama or they're like i mean are you gonna categorize this as romance i don't know um it's like is it or is it the kind of love story of two but basically you could you could see it as a love story of two actual people or it's a story a love story of a friendship yeah it's like it's it's however you want to interpret it but I, I, yeah, I think it's either it's just mainly Southern and maybe you could say it's a coming of age. Or, I think or maybe two. romance is the other one that I was thinking that I wasn't. But yeah, I definitely think. But I, I think at its core, it is definitely a Southern film. Like, yeah, you know, it is yeah. it is truly the embodiment of a Southern film. <laughs> I mean, here's the another side thing that's a side story. It's, a, it's also weirdly a courtroom drama for a brief moment of oh, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I courtroom drama. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I loved um, speaking of that. I actually wanted to to um, comment on something that I thought was so great that Thomas said in the episode about to, from To Kill a Mockingbird, where he was talking about like how in the South, like everything, and this is speaking to like the genre of like we keep everything kind of hidden and we don't really talk about it. And I think what's really funny is like he's he said that line. I was like, that's so true about how in the courtroom everything is laid bare and like you're kind of like you're forced to kind of be honest and talk about all these yeah. things and i loved that moment with ruth when she was like when they were like why did you why did you follow her like why did you follow this woman you know and she's like because i love her and like i loved that and i thought that was such a great way and i do think that's very southern you know yeah in the south it's really weird we're really loud and opinionated about a bunch of shit that doesn't matter but when it comes to like the real stuff, we keep that in, you know, like, we keep that very close to our chest. Oh yeah. You know? and that, like, and, and that leads into how this film in this other genre is that, yeah, it's like, I think Thomas said 
on that on on one of the ones recently it was just like southern the southern genre is very like is very good for like the southerners because it's all about repressed feelings repressed feelings and about and, this, so and, relatable. So, and then southerners through that <laughs> yes it's just like yeah. no let's not talk about that shit yeah like um and so it, it and so with this it's an interesting one where it it, it kind of it, it it's I don't know if it's repressed fully. It's again, it's like how you interpret it, but there's definitely something there where in the, in the town it would see, or in the, in the society it would be seen as, as different. And, and it's, everything's kind of kept close to the chest with these characters. Sure. Uh, Either it being killing someone and feeding their, 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 (laughs) uh, their body as barbecue or if it's this unre- uh, this this kind unre- of love story, yeah, yeah, it's not unrequited love. It's is requited, that, yeah, it's not requited. It's, it's requited. It's yeah, yeah. requited, but it, yeah, it's, the love story isn't necessarily blatant and obvious. Yeah, it definitely fits into that, and it fits into the storytelling aspect of it because you have the the Tandy narration of telling the story, um, and, and and at the core of it, I think it's all a lot of it deals with storytelling as a whole. Of that's the connection with with the with. Um, Iggy telling the story to Ruth on her deathbed. It's yeah, like this yeah. this story that ki- that continues on from generation to generation. Right. Uh, and at the end, that's kind of the ending of like them talking about stories and how it gets carried on. And that's all very inherent in this genre. Yeah, for sure. So there we go. Wow. I think that's it on fried green tomatoes. Anything else you want to say about? fried green tomatoes i think i'm gonna go read the book okay i really want to read the book yeah it was a big hit follow-up podcast off after yeah. i've read the book uh, after i've listened to the audiobook yes. uh, so yeah so that's all we have for in this episode next week it's we're getting to part four of our southern film uh series we're doing a movie kind of kind of unknown uh, a little under the radar. Uh, I'm gonna have our uh, guest uh, podcaster Hunter Barcroft joining me talking about a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek. Mm. It's a it's a kind of a little sounds sinister. It's interesting. It's a docudrama about like a Bigfoot like creature that uh, kind of not terrorizes but but uh, uh, inhabits this small town in Arkansas. So if you want to go watch that for it, it's very short. It's different um but it's available great 4k restoration on amazon prime you can rent through there so that's next week but make sure you uh, subscribe to the nation podcast on apple podcast spotify stitcher google podcast wherever you get your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise to review on whatever platform you listen to the show on that helps us tremendously it helps get the word out about us helps kind of kind of uh broadens our kind of reach in a way if you talk about it give us a review share us on social media and if you haven't already uh make sure you last on, on social media like facebook twitter instagram all that stuff amy again thank you for joining me of course it was fun it always is thank you for you know helping me cross this one off my watch list and i'm so excited that i've now seen this movie and can talk about it that's great and thank you all for listening we hope to listen more episodes soon bye